Hello and welcome, and this is the Hustle Over Everything podcast. I'm your host, Ono Sinde, and we're back in the building for another great episode. I'm super excited for this topic today. Uh, I have my great friend here, uh, Lauren Russ Constant. Uh, met her through a mutual friend, uh, really hit it off well, and she has a lot of big plans that she wants to do. And which we're going to get into over the co- course of this uh, episode. But mainly the reason why I have her in here today is to talk about, you know, mental health, uh, mental wellness, and uh, how each and every person should have, you know, mental uh, wellness at the forefront of their mind and should make it a priority. And I couldn't think of a better person to bring on the podcast to talk about this particular subject other than Lauren today. Lauren, how are you doing today? How are you feeling? I'm good. I am so excited to be here. Thank you for asking me. I can't yeah. wait to get stuck in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure, for sure. So, you know, you're a pretty big advocate for, um, you know, mental health and mental wellness. Can you talk about, you know, how you got into this particular subject matter? Like, you know, when did it all start for you? Uh, yeah, sure. So... Um, it's not something that's always been as core and as central to me as it is now. It's probably been in the last five to six years. Mm-hmm. Um, my first exposure to it came from a friend, one of my best friends who I was living with at university. Um, and that was um, OCD and anxiety and depression. And I understood it from kind of a bystander perspective. Like I understood it in theory, mm-hmm. but I didn't truly understand it. Um, yeah. I probably got into it when I myself was um, diagnosed with anxiety, depression, and OCD, um, and that was about five years ago. And then also, um, in recent years, it's been some quite big struggles that my family has been through, um, Mm -hmm. as a couple of my cousins have struggled from it as well. So Mm -hmm. it's something that the second I got into it, I I guess I saw it everywhere, and I I got into it from a very personal perspective. Mm So talking about like, you know, five years ago, right? Uh, OCD, uh, what else did you say? Anxiety Anxiety and depression. And depression, all three of them. Yeah. What are some triggers that can cause those three things? Because I feel like, you know, we always talk about mental health and mental wellness, uh, but for people who have never experienced it, you know, there's a large disconnect that can cause you to not understand how the other person is feeling mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. Uh, it's easy to say just get over it you know just move on yeah but how does that happen like what are some of the triggers that cause these three things to happen um okay so i full disclosure not an expert not mm-hmm. a mental health practitioner but just from reading and experience and talking mm-hmm. to people I like to think of the whole thing as like a spectrum, right? So we have mental health at one end, which is something that we all have. So I think in recent years, the discourse is around mental health and it's traditionally seen as mental illness, but actually that sits at the other end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. So we have mental health at one end, which is everyone has it. It's when you're thriving, it's when you're happy, it's when life feels easy. At the other end of the spectrum, we have mental illness, which is when, and as I'm talking about being diagnosed with things like um, depression, anxiety, bipolar, and then we have this thing in the middle, which is when we're struggling, it's when we're coping, it's when we're feeling stresses, and I feel like 
all of us as humans move up and down this spectrum. It's a thing we all experience, but mm -hmm. actually a lot of the narrative manages to kind of miss that nuance and it's actually just mental health means mental illness and that's all bad. Mm -hmm. In terms of triggers, um, I am someone that genuinely believes life mm -hmm. is the overarching kind of trigger, right? Yeah. So obviously there is research and studies that show that there are genetics that can lead to it. It can mean that you are more predisposed if your family member has had it and has suffered from mental health issues in the past. Um, things like changes, mm -hmm. um, grief, uh, abuse, childhood issues, racism, mm -hmm. prejudice, um, and trauma. And I think um, what I'm trying to do with the Work Free Space Parties and just me and the conversations I'm having is highlight that trauma isn't just dedicated to really extreme specific things. Trauma mm -hmm. is anything where you experienced fear and you never got over it. So mm -hmm. trauma can be abuse and something as extreme as that, but trauma can also just be... Um, neglect or feeling like you weren't seen or feeling like your parents didn't understand you and I think that's the kind of conversation I'm trying to have is that it can be small things as well as big things and mm -hmm. there's not a one-size-fits-all and often it's just living in our very hectic intense life yeah. can lead to these things so what I want to know is you know you mentioned these three things occurred to you five years ago as someone who went through that how does it feel like did it all hit you all at once, all three things, or did one come after the other? And internally, like, what do you start feeling whenever you, uh, you start feeling the depression and the anxiety? Um, you know, how does your body react? How do you, how does your day to day life change? Mm. Like when you contrast when you didn't have it compared to when it happened. Mm. Um, it's interesting because I guess there's a point to be made about the label mm -hmm. and how powerful that is um I for me it was negatively uh I'm someone that came into it I wasn't someone that was always very open to mental health like mm -hmm. I've not always been this this way inclined I was someone um that I think many of us know this person or are this person that was just stressed like I was just me I didn't think I had a mental health issue I didn't think I had a mental illness I just thought I was someone that was um a bit of a perfectionist mm -hmm. Um, I I was in a relationship where I was super, super happy, super into the guy, and I was a little bit jealous and a little bit obsessive. But again, I thought that was normal. Um, I stressed about making sure that work was good and make sure that I was showing up as the best version of myself. Again, for me, this just felt normal. I'd always been this kind of person, um, and I had a tendency to overthink. And actually, I the reason I ended up getting the diagnosis and getting help was that my mom who is a registered nurse but is also just an amazing mom who knows me um sat me down and actually said look I think maybe this and the way that you are and the way that you your head is at the moment the way that you're feeling mm -hmm. is something that maybe you should think about going to talk to someone yeah and it was actually obviously I was in England when this happened but it was through the NHS system mm -hmm. um that I went I told them how I felt I wasn't actually really expecting anything to come off the back of it and they sent me a letter in the post one day that basically said yeah we've done all our tests and our and our assessments and we've you know we're diagnosing you with these three um illnesses and it was crazy like anxiety is one thing I think 
in a way, anxiety and depression are often the terms that get thrown around most in, in media. Mm-hmm. And there is something, I suppose, easier to wrap your head around. Whereas OCD, I did not see that coming. And again, I think it's one that is less talked about. So that was massive for me. Like, what was like OCD your experience? Like, what is like, so it's, take me through like a picture of like so experiencing it's, um, OCD. It's, Obsessive compulsive disorder. Yep. And the only thing I knew about it was that I was a TV program in England called Hollyoaks and someone on that program had OCD. And for me, it was just that you're like obsessed with cleaning. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you know, you, you have to clean everything. It's obsessive. And, you know, it was quite comical the way that they portrayed it in mm-hmm. Hollyoaks. And that was all I knew of it. So when I got that label, it just did not resonate with me. Like I couldn't understand where it was coming from. But the more I look into it, it's actually quite closely linked to anxiety. And for me, it's actually obsessive thoughts and it comes hand in hand. So when I am overly anxious, my OCD flares up, which means that sometimes my anxiety presents as I have to check things. Like I have ticks, I have to, I'll try and go to bed and I'll set my alarm, but I have to keep checking that I set my alarm, even though I did, Mm -hmm. and when I'm of kind of a healthier mindset, I can check it, put the alarm on and go to bed, whereas when I'm more anxious and when my OCD is flared up, I can sometimes check my alarm 50 to 60 times because my brain keeps telling me that I didn't do it, and Mm -hmm. if I don't do it, then something bad's going to happen. So it was interesting because I had to re-educate myself around actually Mm -hmm. what it meant because what I'd been told it meant in the media and actually my experience of it just wasn't the same. Mm. And over, like, the next, like, the past five years, how did having, you know, the OCD, the anxiety, the depression, how does it impact your relationships, uh, like, your day-to-day? Like, for example, like, the people who are close to you, Mm. your mom and your dad, Mm. your brother, and then your friends, the people who you see every single day, how's that like? Um, So I am incredibly fortunate that I have an incredible support system so my mum and my dad are amazing uh they completely support me I in England the wait list for therapy was three months and I was at a point where I needed help a lot sooner so they actually paid for my therapy because I couldn't afford it um and I had a CBT which is cognitive behavioral therapy and I had that for 10 to 12 months every week where I was going and working through Um, my anxiety and my depression Mm -hmm. in terms of my friends and my family the labels literally did nothing because I was still me I'd been uh, functioning as the exact same version of me before a doctor gave me a note that said by the way this is what we call it actually for me it was just me Um, so yeah like not a big deal in terms of my friendship group they have my back Mm -hmm. and as well like my relationship uh, whilst the guy I was seeing at the time wasn't an expert when it came to mental health he just got it and was like you need to figure out your stuff and support me so my story is actually a really positive one but I do know that it isn't always that easy for Mm -hmm. everyone that gets that has to go through situations like this yeah um in general like mental health like I mean to me uh growing up in Canada and you know coming my family moved here in 2003 and you know living living well right nothing ever I never growing up I never heard anything about mental health it's only around 2000, like, eight-ish, nine-ish, there was a lot of talk about mental health. Mm. There's a lot more people saying mental health, mental health, mental wellness. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, schools are talking about it. 
it's such a big prominent thing in the workspace, like they're actually having like a program for it. What do you feel is the reason to cause this like like um, rise in mental health awareness over the past ten years? Um, yeah, I mean it's definitely shifted, and there's definitely more people talking about it. Mm-hmm. It is, I think, it's a combination of factors. It's um, changing. I mean generation as well generational so I think our generation and the generation younger than us are a lot better at Mm -hmm. talking about this but I think it's also framed by the media and the fact that we have uh, celebrities coming out and Mm -hmm. um, people that are in the spotlight coming out and very openly talking about their mental health Uh, I think social media to some extent has Mm -hmm. helped in terms of give people a platform and uh, in terms of disrupting media, like podcasts like this, like people, it's easier for people to, I guess, communicate their experience and their stories on platforms that before maybe weren't so easy accessible. Do you feel like back in the day or earlier at that time, do you feel like even people who were experiencing these, uh, you know, the mental illnesses, do you feel like there was a lot of ignorance towards it where the attitude was just totally different? Um, I don't know how you thought of it back then, but was it, uh, oh, it's all good. Like, I think you just, it's it's all in your head. Mm-hmm. Like, you just get over it. Like, that type of attitude. Do you feel like that was the main thing? A lot of people will reach out to others and they'll be like, hey, I'm feeling this. Oh, man, just snap out of it. Mm-hmm. Like, you'd hear a lot of that, right? You TV shows, just snap out of it. Do you feel like that was a thing that was uh, just the attitude was like a big impact to a lot of people? Yeah, I think so. I think um, people are slowly more accepting of it. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I mean, mental health research and stats almost always need to be taken with a grain of salt because a lot of them are claimed data. But it, it seems as though um, it's not necessarily that uh, mental health and, and mental illnesses are massively, massively, massively increasing. Like there is definitely a spike but it's more that it feels like there's more now because people are talking about it because there is better awareness and there is um more positive narratives and i think also in terms of the media people are getting called out for things that are insensitive or ignorant because um yeah people are becoming more aware of it and there's there's a discourse and there's a narrative which maybe wasn't there before and i imagine in some cultures and communities it would be that it was shut down but I think also it would just be that people wouldn't know there wasn't the conversation so the stuff they were feeling even like my experience I didn't know and didn't think that that was mental illness I thought that was just life and me mm-hmm. whereas now people are seeing um, people going through experiences that are now being diagnosed as things like bipolar or depression or anxiety and they themselves can be like oh actually that's interesting because I myself have um, felt X, Y, and Z, and then potentially leads them down the road to like, you know, actually getting some help and speaking to people about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, like, I'm always my attitude. My attitude towards it has always been someone who's been, you know, empathetic, right? Just because naturally, I've always been, hey, I, I totally, I don't understand. You know how people can say, oh, I understand. I understand how you feel, man. I, I totally get it. But in reality, like, I really don't get it, mm. right? And it's so ingenuine for me to say that because 
A, I want to be there for the person who is experiencing this feeling, but the way of going about it to helping them is something that a lot of people like myself don't know how to address it. For mm. example, when someone who's experiencing that, a friend of mine can say, I have anxiety, right? How do I help that? Like, mm. I can't say, hey, bro, like, it's all good. I can't take that feeling from their gut that they're experiencing, that mm. they're feeling, like, anxious. Because I've been anxious, but, and I know that feeling that exists within me, like, my core. And it's such an, like, an easy feeling. Mm. You're feeling, man, you know, especially, like, I, I experienced it when I was in, uh, when, when I was in school. I'm like, I have this exam. I got to do this for the startup. I have to uh, do this. I have to do that. Oh, like, you know, and there's a lot of different things that just come and usurp your whole mind. And yeah. it just causes you to feel. And that's just for me. I can say I experienced that, like, for a couple hours. And then everything uh, smooths out. I do the assignment. I take care of what I got to take care of. And everything is off my checklist. I can finally relax. It only just, it hurts to think about how someone can just feel like that 24-7 every single day. And they have to live through that. How does someone handle or approach someone with that mental uh, illness and, you know, help them work through it? Like how, like other parties who maybe not be experiencing that, like how do they come and help you? Like for example, like for you, what are some things that people can do to help people with those mental uh, illnesses? I mean, I think um, what you just did and what you just said is massive. And I think for anyone who is listening and is wondering, I think, um, having the bravery to be vulnerable and just say you don't know, mm-hmm. but you're there. So I had friends and family that at the time didn't get it and they didn't understand what it was that I was going through, but them just being honest and saying that, you know, they are here for me, they appreciate that I'm going through something and asking me like how they can be there for me meant a lot. I think sometimes people try and make you feel better by telling you it's going to be fine or you're going to be okay or not to worry about it. And um, I, again, cannot speak on behalf of everyone here, mm-hmm. but for me personally, sometimes I it means so much when someone just validates the fact that I'm allowed to feel how I feel and that sometimes it doesn't feel like it's going to be okay. But actually, just knowing that there's people there that have your back and support you through it is massive. Mm-hmm. And being open to having conversations that are a bit awkward and you know we're kind of muddling through it we don't want to say anything that's going to upset someone or offend someone but at the same time I would much rather someone who I am close to who I feel comfortable around asking me and talking to me about it because I'd much prefer that than a people just ignoring it and ignoring Mm -hmm. me and ignoring the situation or b imposing the beliefs that they think how I think I should feel or how I shouldn't Mm -hmm. feel and actually like sometimes just being there and acknowledging that you're not sure what to say, but that you love someone and you have their back is everything. Yeah. And that's how I feel like I've done it, you know, over the years. It's just like people who you think. And, you know, the thing is when I, people who tell me they're feeling depressed or they are going through depression, it's people who you'd least expect it mm. from, right? And you look at them, they have a great life on the surface, right? They have a great life. If you look at their IG, you look at their social, they have a great job, 
they come from a great family, they make money, like everything, all their needs are taken care of. And then you ask yourself, like, what is, what is causing this? Like, how are you depressed, right? And I'm just, I'm like asking from like a, you know, it can sound a little bit naive for me to say this, right? And you're like, look at from the outside, like, how could you be depressed? Like, you're, you have everything, you know, you're the most handsome uh, guy, you're the most beautiful girl out here. Like, you know, how are you depressed? You know, I think what I'm trying to get at here is, you know, what causes people, even though they have everything, to feel even depressed, you know? Like, it's just something that I just, you know, I'm trying to add two and two together. And I think a lot of people feel the same way. Like, how are you depressed? Like, people can say you live in the best country in the world, like one of the best. You have everything. How, what's making you depressed? You know, like, what are your thoughts on that? Like, I mean, that is a big question, which I am not qualified to answer. Yeah. But I think, um, first, there isn't an answer. Like, there isn't, isn't an a tick box answer to mm-hmm. this. And I also think it's very important that people realize that bad things and mental illness and life being hard it's not something that is, you know, dedicated to, to a certain postal code or a certain annual income. Like, we recently have seen, you know, Robin Williams springs to mind. Someone that people could, from the outside perspective, be like, he's an actor, he's mm-hmm. respected, you know, and that, that literally means nothing. Like, you feel what you feel. And I think an issue that we have with things like Instagram now is that it's so easy to create an inauthentic life and an an inauthentic experience. And actually, you don't ever really know what someone's going through. And I think it's about just, I don't know, you just just can't... You just can't do it. But you just can't assume that because someone has certain things or they have money or they Mm -hmm. have wealth or they live in a nice place that that naturally then... Uh, relates to happiness because it doesn't mm-hmm. um, and people feel what they feel and people go through things that we don't know they go through and people experience the world in different ways and there isn't we there just isn't an answer for us it's just life I guess mm, yeah earlier on when I didn't have um, the attitude that I have now right and I think coming from my background and I think a lot of people around the world, they've experienced, like, I've come from, and I think it happens with a lot of immigrants, and there's a lot of communities that have the same attitude. You come from a different part of the world where you've seen the worst of the worst, mm-hmm. right? I come from Kenya. I've seen what the worst of the worst could be. You know, I didn't grow up the worst, but I've been around people, and I know people, and I've been to how where they live, and I can see this is a struggle. Like, this is extreme poverty, right? And it kind of becomes a part of you. It becomes a part of your attitude, and it becomes a way of life. You know what the struggle is. How can people, like, with coming from different backgrounds and, like, attitude, like, what is, what is your take on these certain, you know, especially black people? Mm. Like, our attitude is just, like, how are you depressed? Like, mm. let's say... Depression is for white people. Yeah. Right? I've, I've heard it a lot. I even had that conversation with my friend today. Uh, there's three of us when we're talking about depression. And then, you know, I'm not going to say names, but 
their things was like, ah, that only happens to white people. Mm. You never hear it from a lot of the other different ethnic backgrounds. Mm. It's always seems like it's like a Caucasian thing. Mm. What do you think about that? Like, I mean, you've been around this and you've been studying the whole process. And this is something, it's an attitude within certain ethnic backgrounds mm. who come from different places and they think, nah, that can never happen to me. I know what toughness is. I know what... I know what the worst of the worst is, and I'm like, how could I be depressed? Especially living in Canada. Mm. Like, this is the land of the free. You know, we came here to do good things. And now you hear someone come and tell you, like, Rob, I'm depressed. What do you say about that? Yeah. You know, even my uncles, I, I like, tell them, like, they'll be like, yo, how are you depressed? Tell me, how? You know, this is something that a lot of people, it, it's, it's, it's not spoken about, but it exists. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, it's it's a great question. The answer is nuanced. I also don't really have a right in terms of... I've come from a very privileged background, mm -hmm. right? I was born in England. Um, I've moved to Canada. I haven't known struggle in the same way that other people have known struggle. So um, I'm very... I'm going to be cautious of my answer because to some extent people are entitled to that opinion. They're yeah. entitled to feel that way based on the experiences they had and I'm not going to pass any judgment on that. It's interesting as well being mixed because obviously I have white family members and black family members. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting because I sit right on the intersection of experiencing those different cultures and those different attitudes towards mental health and it's a thing. Like my white family members are a lot more likely to talk about depression, anxiety around the dinner table. We talk about therapy. Um, more or less everyone in my family, on that side of the family has had therapy at one point or another. And it's a part of our dialogue. Whereas um, on the black side of my family, again, I'm supported massively, but it's, it's not a thing we talk about. Like it's not a thing that is ever a main issue that we're going through. And I think... You know, it's, like, you're a black woman. Yeah, Lord, and it's, right? it's, and that's the thing. It's, it's, it's harder. It's harder because there's, a, there's religion sometimes. And I know, like, mental health has often been related back to the devil, which is a thing. Mm -hmm. But also there is struggles. And you are very aware that you are sat there talking. And again, as you, the last question, in your seemingly very easy life, and you have family members that have been through real struggle and you know what they've been through, there is no way that you don't sit there and part of you feels like a fool for saying mm -hmm. it. And black people are incredibly resilient. And so there is potentially a thing there where the, the issues that people have come to deal with and overcome is different and that bar is higher. Yeah. But there's also societal expectations of, like you said, being a black woman, the fact that we are brought up and expected to hustle twice as hard and we are sometimes entering classrooms or boardrooms or meeting rooms where we are, there are not many people that look like us and we are there to represent and show up and mm -hmm. show that we should be there and we deserve a seat at the table. And so anything that links back to a weakness or needing help isn't something that people are always gonna embrace. So it's a complicated one. I think it's something that I want to work more in terms of talking about and learning more about 
people of color and their experiences of mental health and therapy because it is still a thing that we experience. Black people experience mental health issues. It is a thing. I think I think it's a great point. I think one of the things it's talking to black people in general, right? Because they just have such a um, attitude that's just like it's a passing the buck attitude, just like whatever. Like, do you feel like it's uh, attributed because they've experienced the worst? Like they've gone through so much trauma as it is that it's just become a part of who they are. It's like knowing, it's like living every day with the struggle. Like I'm already at the worst of the worst. I already have this on me. I already have this on me. It's like your natural state of mind to go through living as a black man, as a black woman. It's like, I cannot feel like this because I have to persevere through mm -hmm. and I have to put on a good face because even though it is there in the background, you are feeling that it's you have like this attitude like I have to keep on going because if I if I uh, break down and like just go back and just become weaker, I will not progress in life. Do you feel like that's holding people back, especially like the black community back because there's a lot they're already enduring? Well, that's the thing. There is a lot. And if you were to look at it from like a clinical perspective, there are so many things that black people go through that mean that they are more likely mm -hmm. to have mental health issues like I was saying racism and prejudice and microaggressions like just small things like you go to a shop and you're more likely to be followed by a security guard mm -hmm. or having to go online and constantly see the police brutality against black people like every time you see that you feel it but again there is it's interesting what you said that idea of you know if you start dealing with it then potentially it opens up a whole load of wounds and I know I have friends that are so strong and so resilient and there is so many things that they have been through and for them the way that they keep on keeping on is just like as you said just like war for ducks back like it's just keep going keep pushing keep hustling mm -hmm. because the second you open that can of worms there's a lot there yeah um and so yeah there's there's that there's a there's a strength and there is a wanting to keep going and keep pushing and but then there's also the fact that for our generation, we know what people, our loved ones have been through. And if you were to just put it, write it down on a piece of paper, like my seemingly struggles versus my dad's or my grandma's or my granddad's, it, it does make you feel like you are unentitled to feel what you feel. Mm -hmm. So I think that makes complete sense as well. I, From a personal perspective, taking race out of it, just on a human level, what I'm trying to do is if people are ready and want to seek help and want to deal with their stuff, then I want that to be accessible to them. But I am in no way saying people should or shouldn't. Like that is that is everyone's entitled to how they survive, how they work their way through life. Um, and yeah, I think for for black people that, that it's it's a big, it's a whole topic. Like mm -hmm. there's a lot. It feels as if it's something that you know it's a uh, it'll take years for an attitude shift. Yeah. Right. And. Speaking to family members, uh, external like friends and family, it's just they're not, re they're refusing to believe that it's a thing, right? Mm -hmm. I came around and I realized it's a thing, but for them, it's gonna take years and like probably like, it's gonna take people like us, our generation, to move, push the envelope forward and be like, okay, this is the new thing. Like we have to accept this. It is a thing. Mm -hmm. It can impact our children. Our like whenever we arrive at that point and their kids' kids, and it starts by passing on that message from the top. 
going down. You're a big advocate for being having a, getting a therapist, correct? Yeah. yeah. Um, Talk about your therapy process. So I am an advocate for just talking to someone, right? So mm -hmm. therapy for me was how I came about it. And I think therapy is probably the most commonly used term. But actually since moving to Toronto and in terms of my business plan and, and what it includes, it's also now coaching. It's also now energy healing. It's also um, less understood, I guess, less popularized forms of therapy like art therapy or mm -hmm. CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, my thing is just people speaking to someone about oh. their stuff because I think a lot of us deal with mental illness, mental health, by not talking about it. Mm -hmm. And my shift isn't necessarily that I think everyone should have a therapist. I don't. It's something that you have to want to do. Otherwise, it's just not going to work. Um, but my issue is that there are a lot of people that are considering it and could benefit from it, but there just isn't the accessibility or there isn't the knowledge or there isn't the conversation, and that's what I'm trying to change. So in the same way as physical health, right, I don't think everyone should go to the gym. Having said that, when people want to look after their physical health, they know where to go. They know there are gyms. They know there is education around it. There is narrative around it. They can find a personal trainer. I just want to level the playing field so it's the same for mental health because it's the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's health, and it's always just broken my heart that we're okay about physical health and, and going to the dentist or going to the doctor or going to a physio when we are physically struggling or physically broken but that there's not the same acceptance and conversation when it comes to our mental health is it like you feel um before i ask you that talk about your experience at a therapy session like i think that's what we need to start yeah like, um it's explain the first time you went to a therapy session and how each session is like like what are they like how is it like when you in there is it you know are you sitting on a chair um, with your in like in this this nice mahogany brown <laughs> chair that you're you're just sunk in properly. The pillow is like placed in properly where your head's resting, and you can actually speak your thoughts. It's like a dark room, and there's a light right there. And he's you've thought about this, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you think about therapy, like you think of you're at ease, you're. You have a nice glass of cold water. You can even see the condensation on the glass, you know? Is it like that? Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, okay, so I can talk about it because I've had a few experiences, which is hopefully helpful. Um, the first time I went to therapy, I was terrified. Actually terrified. Like, I, I was going to this person that I didn't know. I was going to their house because their office was in their house. And... I had all these thoughts in my head about all these things that were apparently wrong with me, according to the doctors, and I was going to have to go and tell a whole stranger all my feelings. I was so fortunate, so fortunate that my therapist was amazing. So we didn't get a brown, sinky sofa, but to be honest, her office was pretty close. I did it's have a cold. I did have some cold water. It was cozy. Was there a blanket there just to keep uh, you was there a blanket? Toasty? There was a notebook There's for a notebook me and my here. thoughts. There was water. Yeah. She was really friendly. She was she was warm. Mm. Um, and I instantly felt safe and supported. And so for me, my first experience with therapy was great. 
what are some things that the therapists do to make you feel comfortably? Because I'm sure it's part of their training. And like, I think this will be a good insight to know this is how you expect to be treated once you go there, even though you're scared. So yeah, so I think the converse, what, the main thing I want people to take from this is um, trust your gut and know what you deserve. So there are so many therapists, psychotherapists, social workers, um, clinical practitioners, uh, and just because they have a qualification or a title, that does not mean that they are necessarily right for you, and that does not mean that you have to trust them and you have mm-hmm. to trust that they are right for you. You have to go with your gut, and it's about rapport and connection. Mm-hmm. Um, my, I've had a few, so my first therapist was just, I'm a very um, friendly, I, I care about kind of connection and I'm someone that will talk about like small talk to make sure everyone feels comfortable. And my therapist was like that. So for me, that worked. Whereas I have friends who just don't have time for that. So for them, that wouldn't have worked because they would have annoyed her. Because they would have, can we just get to the point? And actually, the kind of therapist they want is someone that just comes in, sits down. All business. All business, but yeah. still warm, but they're there to help them. And that's how they progress. And so it's different. You have to go with your gut. You have to go who you're drawn to. I've also had a therapist who was a white man and I have nothing against white male practitioners but for me a lot of the stuff I was talking about was about my race about my identity about my relationships and actually I didn't feel like it was my job to tell him my stuff and then also make him try and understand my perspective Mm -hmm. that's not my job and so for me and I think again coming back to black people and the conversation around mental health is that potentially it has been a very white conversation where when you think of therapy and when you think of therapists, you think of white men and women. Mm -hmm. And actually, we need to have our experiences understood. You want to be talking to someone that, don't get me wrong, they're not there to um, agree with everything you say, but you want to know that they get it. They know where you're coming from. Because I think one of the biggest things for me with therapy was just being validated. She didn't agree with everything she wasn't telling me um, all my feelings were correct but Mm -hmm. that feeling when you tell someone something you're so insecure about and you're worried that you're the only one in the world that thinks it or the only one in the world that feels it and having someone just sit opposite you and you can tell that they get it Mm -hmm. like they can validate the fact that you are entitled to feel the way that you feel and that Mm -hmm. means everything and that comes from having the right therapist and having someone that you get and that gets you in return yeah, and um, I think you're totally right because, you know, living life as a woman, especially as a black woman, it's mm-hmm. totally different when you're with a white man, right? It's, yeah, they're qualified to talk about the, the issue at hand, yeah. but there's no correlation of like, hey, I'm not a woman, I'm not a black woman. It's just like a totally different thing. So it's pretty much not a relationship that's going to work out and really like work out for anybody. I mean, for some people it might, um, and I wouldn't want to you know generalize and say that it wouldn't for everyone some people it might be that the connection and the personalities just work but for me um it didn't and I could tell he was qualified and he was kind and he was trying to understand and he didn't say anything ignorant there wasn't anything dramatic but I just for me in terms of it's so vulnerable you are so vulnerable you're opening up your heart and you're telling someone your deepest worries and your deepest fears you need to feel held you need to feel like someone gets you and they aren't going to judge you and you also need to not be sat there worrying 
that they're not getting it or that they're dismissing it because privilege is a thing and not everyone is always aware of it and I don't mean that as an insult it's just a fact and so and I'm an anxious person which means I overthink and for me therapy is when it's good is a time for me to have someone help me not think so I need to make sure that whoever I'm working with they've got themselves and then I can just focus on me I don't have to worry about doing both jobs and translating what how I'm feeling into a way that they're going to comprehend to then give me like yeah yeah it's just a lot of work it's a lot of work and it's like it just seems so counterintuitive that you're there and then now you're adding more stress to yourself it's just ironic how that happens the one thing that a lot of people don't know about therapy is we do know it exists right but there's a lot of nuances that we don't know about it like how much does it cost Mm. Right? Do we, how is each therapist, how do they, how you pay for them? Like, is it by hour? Is it by qualification? Is it by tenure of how long they've been in the business? You know, there's a bunch of different things that can go on. How has it been for the people you've worked with and from an industry wide? Like, how do they do it? Like, in terms of like all that stuff. Because it, for me, I can say, yeah, like, maybe we got a therapist, but. Where to start? Yeah, where to start? Yeah. It's like Uber, you know, like historically, that ab, it, a, a cab's been $12 and up, right? Like, you know what to expect. Mm. So this thing is, what do you, like, I don't know what to expect from a therapist. Like, you know, I don't want to be surprised with a bill of like two grand, mm. right? Because it's a special service. You get me? Like, yeah, <laughs> and it's, so I, money is massive. The cost mm-hmm. is massive. The cost is potentially the biggest barrier to therapy and I also want to widen it out and also say um, coaching or healing because again I think inclusivity is massive and there isn't a one-size-fits-all approach with this in terms of therapy specifically it's such a sliding scale Um, often the so the title that they have comes down to their qualifications and insurance often links up to that um it's still a landmine so there isn't unfortunately there is not an obvious way of figuring out exactly how much you should be paying Mm -hmm. um but there are also organizations that intentionally try and cut the price to help people so there's an organization called hard feelings um in toronto and it's amazing and it offers low-cost therapy where hard feelings as an organization offers value and they work with therapists and social workers who are willing to charge less but it's because they're part of this community Mm -hmm. so there are organizations like that in terms of psychology today I'm still trying to figure it out to be completely honest um it often so my current therapist is um she is slightly cheaper online than in person because she herself has to rent space, right? So it's often down to their personal costs as well. Mm-hmm. So it could be something like 150 online or 225 in person. Mm-hmm. And we're still talking big money, right? You said you have 250? 150 an hour. An hour? An hour. Jeez. Or 225 an hour, but that would be in person because the extra money would go to the rental space, right? Mm. It's usually, again, I cannot generalize, um, but from my experience, it's usually you pay hourly. Uh, 
on their page, whether that's on Psychology Today or on their own personal website, it will say their fees. Mm -hmm. It will also say um, whether it's covered by insurance. And I would recommend that everyone asks upfront whether or not it's covered by insurance. Um, often that is correlated to the title. So again, I'm thinking off the top of my head and it's late, my brain's not working, but I think psychiatry and um, psychotherapy. So psychiatry is more on the medical side. So the qualification, I think, and I could be completely incorrect with this, but it's um, slightly more medical. So Mm -hmm. it comes under that grouping. So from an insurance perspective, it's more likely to be covered but because they tend to spend more time in training and more years training, mm-hmm. it could be more expensive. Whereas, say, social workers on the other end of the spectrum, um, they tend to be cheaper. And I say that with a grain of salt because you're still talking mm-hmm. like it could be 150 to 80. Um, there is less qualifications in order to get that. It's still like an intensive program. Um, but they tend to be cheaper, but they're less likely to be qualified by um, insurance because it's not as highly regulated as yeah. the other end of the spectrum. Do you feel like cost is a barrier for yes, people? Yes, 100%. Is that the main cause of people not reaching out to get a therapy therapist? Uh, I don't... It's not the only, but yeah, it's a massive one. It's a mm. massive one, and I think that's something long-term I want to try and help with. I hate that receiving support with your mental health is such a privilege and I was just about to ask you it's that, yeah. such a privilege and I hate that it's almost just being used by and for the the wealthier and I think in a, coming to a country like Canada but a city like Toronto and, and being I mean I'm new but one of the things I've massively noticed is the disparity of wealth and yeah there are people with a lot of money and there are people with no money and actually ironically the people that are living in harsher conditions living in poverty um Mm -hmm. living without safety and warmth are the people that probably could benefit from having the support and having someone be there and having someone to talk to and i hate that yeah it comes with such financial privilege yeah and for you 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 like as we go you're a strong advocate like yeah like i think you should have a therapist i have Right. Mm. Well, yeah, I don't think my message is not that people should. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not it's not a thing I would want to push down someone's throat. It's not something I think everyone should have. And it's not something I think everyone will benefit from. I my message is I am someone that has really benefited from this. Mm-hmm. I think I didn't know how much benefit it would have been until I had it. And actually, there are too many barriers and there are a lot of people that do want it and are interested. And so for me, it's just for those people that want it, I want to make it easier for them. Mm. Yeah, because um, one could think that having that access, like let's say if it was cheaper, you can go to a mental, you can go to a therapist. It's sort of like enabling you to always have like, oh yeah, I'm just going to go see my therapist. It could be like a problem, which it's not really like related to your you know, mental health and you know mental wellness but it's like sort of like enabling you to have like someone like yeah like everything I do everything I feel let me go to my therapist for it what are your thoughts on that like is it can you see that becoming like a trend where people just it's like kind of abusing the whole purpose of it it's like you're not really uh and I can't say how strong someone is but it's like you're you know you're a strong person, you know you can handle things well, but you're 
always like running towards therapy for like anything and anything if you know you believe it should be cheaper you know what are your thoughts on that um uh, it's a I tough think, question still yeah i mean they've all been they've all been tough yeah, um, i mean i've been coming hard I think you, you have you've not been holding back but i'm fine i'm fine i've got therapy not yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i had it yesterday um yeah. no i think that um so firstly therapy is not easy like mm. the belief that you if you are in therapy and if you have a therapist or you have a coach or you are working with an expert that's helping you deal with your shit, mm-hmm. the idea that that in some way is not you yourself dealing with your shit is, is incorrect. Because actually, if you have a good therapist, they don't do anything for you, but essentially hold up a mirror and make you deal with you. So it's easier to not go to therapy mm-hmm. because I can just whack on Netflix, have a glass of wine, talk to my friends who aren't going to say anything that challenging to me because they don't want to upset me. And that's easier. Whereas therapy is, it's hard and it's challenging and you have to really be honest and vulnerable. And often a lot of the issues that, for me personally, but a lot of the issues I'm dealing with now, it's not so much that the issue is now, it's actually something that happened years ago it happened in my childhood but it was something that I didn't want to deal with and couldn't deal with and actually the only way that I'm going to heal and move forward is by reopening and rehashing old wounds really painful feelings dealing with them and then moving forward so I think if you have a good therapist it would mm-hmm. never be something that you would willy-nilly run to because mm-hmm. it, it it's it's work you have to put the work in um so that would never be a worry for me and I think the benefit of um, equal and accessible support for everyone would massively outweigh any potential weaknesses. Like mm-hmm. the fact that more people, that everyone could get support and guidance and, uh, I don't know, help in dealing with life, that's such a benefit that I wouldn't be worried about. But some people may be abusing, abusing it. it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, even if they're abusing it, at least it's something that's going to like... And help them. It's like positive at the end of the day. Exactly. Right? And like, who are we to, who are we to, to validate whether it's abuse or not? If exactly. you're feeling something and you want support, then go get that support. And I'm not going to judge you. Yeah, great point. Yeah, great point. Social media. Let's oh, talk about that. Yo. Social media. Social media. Social media. Not even just social media, Lauren. The internet. Okay, we're going <laughs> big. We're going the big. internet, yeah. right? Internet is such a big place where a lot of people really like you know i can't say like yo the internet caused a lot of mental uh, health stuff but it doesn't take a g like it, you, you can clearly see there's a lot of different like factors that affect people over the internet mm. that makes them feel bad about themselves you because you're exposing yourself online you know you're on twitter you're on instagram you're exposing yourself to the world and like there's a lot of different things I used to measure how you exist mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on the world. Like, okay, you got followers, you got yeah. likes, you know, you got things that validate you and just like measure up. Oh, my picture last time got 300 likes or today I only got 80 likes. What changed? Yeah. I was the hot girl guy yesterday. Why aren't you feeling that it's essentially the same photo? And then... I can see this yeah. causing certain things. This bullying online, right? I can go on about this. Yeah. I just I just feel 
I just feel like I've, as a person who uses internet for social, for business and personal stuff and building relationships, I can see how it's such a big component in mm-hmm. affecting your mental health. You know, you're up on night. Like so one of the things I do is like I'm up on night on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Like when I'm not, when I can't sleep, it's like I just read tweets. <laughs> I mean, it's therapeutic to me, but I can see a lot of abuse on it. I can mm-hmm. see a lot of negativity. You know, a lot of people retweet a lot of stuff with black men getting shot. Mm. And, you know, it's like every single time I go on Twitter, it's I'm I'm being hit with the same message over and over. So, like, for me, you know, it's actually crazy that I'm realizing this right now. Yeah. Every time I see a cop, right, even the other day at work, I'm walking in in the building and I see two cops right there. Immediately, for some reason, I just got, like, this post, like... I know I didn't do anything, but I feel yeah. like they could find an excuse on me to like just do something. You know, it, it doesn't matter because I feel like seeing the same image over and over on Twitter, on Instagram, I'm hearing the same news. I mean, I can ramble on about this. No, but slow, it's but so important. Like it's yeah. such uh, like this is we're, we're getting we're getting deep. We're getting honest, and like I, yeah, I'll be honest, I tomorrow is going to be the first day that I'm going to try and not go on Instagram or Facebook at all. Really? Because it is impacting it is impacting my mental health. My anxiety at the moment is through the roof when I'm on Instagram. Like I and it's hard because you know, we get this narrative especially as entrepreneurs that I mean, Instagram is a massively amazing platform for building a business, especially if you are trying to share a story and you're building your personality as part of your business. And I genuinely want to create a community and I want to create a space that is, you know, helps people in terms of makes them feel welcome, makes them feel able to talk about mental health or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So it's a big thing for me, but actually personally, I'm struggling because I post something and I go through periods where I'm fine. I can post something and I don't second guess it. But then I go through periods where exactly as you said, I am, oh, was it this or was it that? Or have I offended someone or has someone taken it the wrong way or does it say this about me? And I think it's it's a big, okay, it's a big topic and I'm glad you brought it up because I think from a mental health perspective, it exasperates a lot of stuff that we as humans have that we struggle with and make things harder. So it's mm-hmm. not necessarily that social media causes jealousy or causes um, competition or causes comparison, but social media exasperates it. It makes it easier. It makes it, you know, it makes it less likely that you're going to sleep, as you said, because you stay up, which you need. And it makes it less likely that maybe you'll go and exercise because you've been scrolling for five minutes and before you know, actually you've been scrolling for two hours. Mm-hmm. But I think the biggest point that I've only recently realized is connection literally we social media has i think fooled us into believing that we are connecting online and actually it's not the kind of connection that feeds our soul like real connection is when you feel truly seen and heard when you are you as your true self and it could be and it can be mass events like going to a concert or going to a sporting event or being with family when you just get that feeling that you're like you're just you and you're loved and you're accepted and you're part of something bigger than you. Mm-hmm. And the issue with social media is that we think we're connecting all the time. We've got a new follower, we're chatting to someone on DMs, blah, blah, blah. But actually what social media allows us to do is 
be inauthentic in our connection because we're connecting with the filtered version of someone. We're connecting with someone's highlight reel. Like, mm-hmm. And we ourselves know that someone is connecting with not truly us, but the very edited, polished version of us. And mm-hmm. that, for me, makes me feel lonely. Yeah. So I go on Instagram because I think I'm going to get some connection and some fulfillment. And I actually end up coming off Instagram feeling more alone and less myself and questioning who I am because... Did I post that because I wanted to post that or did I post that because I think that's what they want to see? Yeah. And that for me is what I'm trying to take a step back from. I can see the strengths of social media, but I think you really see the strengths when you learn how to use it for your benefit mm-hmm. and you're very intentional with how you use it. And I, my issue is that recently I've been using it to distract myself from stuff I need to deal with and from procrastinate from business and whatnot and that's when I get anxious and bogged down so yeah I'm trying to take a step back and see if I can become more make social media work for me instead of the other way around mm-hmm. oh yeah I mean you just said a, a I lot. said a lot once yeah, I start yeah, yeah, yeah. once it's, I start you can't stop me <laughs> no and it was like I can tell it was so genuine because mm. I I'm not like hooked on social I'll, I'll be on checking out maybe sports highlights, NBA, Premier League, anything like that. But there was a time where I wanted to, you know, take good photos. It's like, to me, it's just like I want to put the best version of myself. Mm-hmm. And this year, there's a transition I went through. I'm like, you know what? I feel like I've been, there exists a group of friends we know, right? And we can say these are like our core followers. And they're like, oh, yeah. I'll support your pick and I'll do whatever I'll comment on it. <laughs> and sometimes it's like it's like fake love because you know you know how it's like someone like, yeah, that's my homie. I don't really like the pick, but <laughs> yeah. I'll just I'll just I'll just support man's, you know, I'll just I'll just boost I'll just boost it up. And I noticed this, I've seen a, a lot of my friends who are girls, it's like they'll comment, oh my god, like it's just like very, very ingenuine. You know what I mean? It's just mm-hmm. like you're you're commenting just for the sake of commenting. And the likes and the everything, and you, and then you're seeing other people who you're comparing yourself to, and it's so unhealthy. And like I just made that decision. I was like, you know what? I don't even care. I don't even care anymore. Like if I want to post that story if I want to. I'm gonna post that picture. I'm not gonna edit. I'm gonna like, yeah, throw it up. If you vibe with it, <laughs> yeah, you vibe with that pic. You know, what <laughs> that's I'm how it should be. My issue is I'm like that. I'm like, yeah, fuck it. I'm gonna put it up there. Five seconds later, I'll delete it. Because I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. actually, no, I don't want to put it up there. And I I don't want to be like that. I want to go back and get back to using it where I can do that truly and honestly. Put something up because I want it to be there and then not care about mm-hmm. the repercussions. Because if I was feeling it and it feels like it aligns with who I am and who I was at that point in time, then that's good. My issue is because my anxiety is flared up at the moment, I guess. I am second guessing everything. So for me, Instagram can be a trigger because I'm putting myself out there and then I'm opening myself up and my head up to loads and loads of comments mm-hmm. like, you shouldn't have done that. Was this right? Is this person going to be offended? Blah, blah, blah. And that for me is exhausting. And it's just like everyone's watching, you know? But they're and not. Then, That's the funny thing. We think you, they you're are. You're watching, but like, they're not. Yo, Lauren, you know what I realized? Just take this in. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> this is the thing. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. But but we care. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that it's true. It's true. We know because we're all thinking about ourselves. So we're not thinking about anyone else. And there's a comfort in that. 
definitely there's a comfort in that because I'm the only one freaking out about the picture that I posted. But that's the thing with anxiety. Is you it's see, not... you see someone post their pic and you can tell like they line that pic up. They line it up to the core. <laughs> the color, the caption. You know they reached for that. It's like a lyric from something. They're like, "Raw, like what's gonna be the best uh... caption for this?" And then you like. Yeah, it's, I'm not inspecting it like the way you thought I was going to inspect the pic. You We've know? all done it. I am guilty of it. I am guilty of it. You know, also sometimes you'll send a couple pics to your friends. Be like, which one? I did which, that too. I do that with my sisters. I'm like, yo, what's what's the best pic? It's the same picture. It's, it's just yeah. one of them you're looking up and one of them you Yeah, and then it's just like your chin might be like looking like this or you're like, ah, you know? It's true. It's such a waste of time. Yeah, but I, we will do it. Have we'll you ever do done it. this? Like there's, um, I used to care about like, okay, who unfollowed me? Right. Oh, I've never done that. That's so there's like an app called Followers App, oh my God. right? I know I'm adding more stress. <laughs> You'll be able to see. Go home. Not, yeah. I used to like really, really like care about who would follow me because I feel like I use that as a as a marker to know if you're really like you know vibing with me like that. Like I thought we're like sometimes I'll see like oh God, a bro- this is dangerous. What do you mean? This idea, like, I had no idea you could tell. Yeah, like, you can oh. tell someone like you'll see like oh yeah last last night I was like a. 1301 and I, today I'm at 1300 and like who is this who are you you know and then you go digging and then you look their follows and you okay what well, this person will follow me before it used to hurt me I'm like yo I thought and then you start thinking back that relationship <laughs> right you're like man I thought we were good I thought we we're friends like what did I do to you like how could you unfollow me it's like you use that as a marker to really validate the friendship it's like as if you you're seeing it as a way that they don't want to deal with you anymore until right. you realize it was an accident that finger slipped and then they follow you again yeah yeah something like that or sometimes like you see them and they wouldn't even look at you it's like oh like my my friends uh i played i grew up with all my life we played basketball together and then we're at the gym one day and then he was just like bro i'm like he's telling me, me and our other friend it's like, you know, so-and-so unfollowed me. And I'm like, it's like, really? He's just like, yeah. And then just like, he, he's like, I don't know why he'd do that. Like, bro, we, we, we know each other. Mm. We fought hard. We won to battle together, like sports. It's like, it's such a camaraderie thing. And like, yeah. it's kind of like a brotherhood. It's like when you win championships together, it's, you'll never forget that person for the rest of your life. Mm. And then you're just dismissing me like that. It just seemed like, I could yeah. see he was hurt because man, we're boys. Like, I gave you rides home. Like, you, you know what I mean? Yeah, no. And it can really, like, hurt relationships and, you know, it can cause, oh, man, like, I guess I'm losing my friends. They're not the same way. Like, I thought they saw me. Social media, man, it's just crazy. Just crazy. I mean. It just, yeah, I come back. It just exas- exacerbates things. It makes mm-hmm. things, I mean, people drift all the time, right? And, naturally friendships drift but it's so official the second like you were saying if it's an unfollow that makes it feel so much more official Mm -hmm. than actually naturally if you just drifted you just drift Mm -hmm. but it's the second you have that visual representation of someone being like i'm tapping out this friendship now Mm -hmm. that obviously it makes you feel all these things Mm. but yeah it's the thing is it's it can also be a catalyst for good um i don't want (laughs) to social media is not perfect and i given my current situation like it's it's not my favorite thing right now but I can still see that it can be used for good if you use it for good and it can be used to build 
community. I think the best relationships probably happen off of social media, but sometimes you meet people through the platform mm -hmm. and then a friendship comes and then you get to hang out afterwards. And being someone that has moved to a new city, Facebook and Instagram and finding ways to connect with people has been massive. And I traveled for six months before I moved here and using being able to have WhatsApp and FaceTime my mom and chat to my friends and chat to my brother. And even though I live here, I'm still, I know everything about what's going on with my best friends back home because of social media and because of like apps like WhatsApp. So in some ways it can be great at facilitating and maintaining. It's just about how we use it and us getting better at knowing how it works for us and then tapping out when it's not working for us anymore. Yeah. For, like, it's about just using it strategically. A hundred percent. What made you decide that tomorrow, November 14th, is the day that you're going <laughs> to delete? Are you Honestly, deleting your account? You're just deactivating? No, no. So I'm not I'm not actually going to do anything dramatic. You're um, just going to hide it in like a folder over a folder over a folder. I think, ah, it's how, how crazy is it that it's like something I've got to give real thought and consideration to no um it wasn't the date it was I was at work today I was messaging my friend and I realized I went on Instagram and I was just feeling so anxious I was seeing posts and it was I was comparing myself to people that I love and people that I am so proud of them but because I was not in a great headspace it just instead of focusing on everything they'd achieved mm -hmm. I was using it to focus on things I hadn't achieved and yeah. then um yeah, and it's been something that's been going on for a while where I just don't feel good when I come off the platform. So I just said to my friend, I was like, right, hold me to it. I'm not going to go on Instagram or Facebook mm -hmm. tomorrow. I'm not going to do anything dramatic. I'm just going to try and... Because also, it's an addiction. I, today, I will just click the app, not even consciously. I'm just like... Oh and I'll open the app, then I'll close it. And then I'll open it again. And I'm like, why am I here? Yeah. And so I'm trying to just see how it feels because so something with therapy so with ocd um the thing with ticks is that so whether it's checking my alarm right which i'll do tonight so i'll put my alarm on and i know i've done it and then i'll turn my phone off and then my head i get this overwhelming feeling of just like like it's a horrible it's just like you have to check it you have to check it check it again you didn't do it you didn't do it you didn't mm -hmm. do it um and so then i check it and it means that this can go on for like I go to bed sometimes like half an hour before I know I need to sleep because I know it's going to take me so long mm. to like, but the way that you get over it and, and during times when I, it has got better is you have to just sit with that feeling and you have to just get good at acknowledging that feeling and fighting it and how bad that even with someone like social media, like I know tomorrow I'm, my mind is going to, without even thinking about it, naturally be just trying to get me to go on Instagram and what I'm going to try and do is just feel those feelings and see if I can just hold out because yeah. I'm not getting anything from it yeah. I'm just doing it out of habit it's like you see the orange icons pop out just, it's like a heart you see like the follow the, the, the sign of a human <laughs> silhouette or you see that top <laughs> corner right there you're like oh yo someone message me <laughs> who's sliding I, in my DMs yeah. today <laughs> <laughs> I might have to maybe I just have to delete the app I don't Yo, know. I'm gonna give it. I've a go. seen people go on hiatus and then they like, you like, you know what? I'm never coming back. And I saw this meme. It was like this guy. He had, imagine like a line of like, cocaine or whatever drugs, and instead of like the white powder, it's actually hearts. <laughs> it's actually like followers. It's actually a DM logo yeah. right there, and it's all lined up, and you can just see someone snorting 
all like that, those icons of likes. And then it's just like, you know. It's <laughs> graphic, but it's it's kind of true. Like it it's makes so a true, point. Yo. Yeah. It, it gives you like this exhilarating it feeling. Does. Like I'm validated today. It does. Today, it does. And I think what I'm trying to get better at is validating myself. Like being able to validate. And this is me being super honest. Like that's the thing that I am working on in therapy is like having not needing external validation so much like mm-hmm. not needing someone else to tell me I'm good not needing someone else to tell me I'm worthy actually just being able to do it myself and the thing with social media is that it makes it so easy for you to be lazy with yourself because you just get validation from other people mm-hmm. you put a picture up people like it and then that gives you that temporary buzz of like oh yeah well people like, like I, it. I feel accomplished so, for the day but then it's it's just like yeah I'm trying to that's great, but I don't want to rely on that. Like, I'd rather be able to just validate myself, mm-hmm. not needing an Instagram pic. Yeah, Instagram. Uh, I might take a little break, but it's hard because I gotta promote hustle over. But everything. this is the thing; it's the same. It's like, it's. But it. I. I'm hoping I'll be able to just get a balance where, I go on the channel and mm-hmm. I go on Instagram when I need it and when it works for me. But it's not so incessant, mm-hmm. and it's not so obsessive. Okay. So, space parties, right? Yes. Let's talk about space parties. Yes. How did this uh, idea emerge in your brain? What is space parties? <laughs> I know what space parties is, but sometimes I got to, like, pull back. I'm like, yo, I'm hosting a show right now. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is space parties, Lauren? Um, what is space parties? So, space parties is my baby. Mm-hmm. It is an event series that helps remove the mental and physical barriers to finding someone to speak to. Mm -hmm. So it makes it easier to find a therapist or a coach or a healer or a behaviorist. Um, And it does it by, yeah, hosting these events that are fun. Mm -hmm. They are welcoming. They are inclusive. They're educational. Mm -hmm. We have pizza. We have wine. We have beer because it doesn't always need to be so serious. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, that's what we do. We bring some amazing people together, we bring experts who know their stuff, um, and we just have some really honest conversations with them, but also with each other. Okay, and you just recently had your first event. Yes. How was it like putting up your first Space Parties event? Um, It was a journey. It was a lot. Um, It was amazing. Mm -hmm. It was challenging. I had the best support team, so I partnered with Bolo Mm -hmm. um, and I had so Callie who's the CEO was um, amazing she was my rock I basically pitched her an idea and she just got it and completely supported me and she went with it and the whole team there at Bolo were amazing and we built something beautiful together so Mm -hmm. yeah it was it was great and uh, what are some challenges you had putting up the event because you're you're a pretty newcomer to Toronto, <laughs> right? Yeah. How did you find the courage and the confidence and ability to pull it off with not knowing anybody in the city and still attracting a large group of people at this event? Yeah, I mean, I have definitely recalled extra a number of times in that I apparently have to move to a city, find a house, find a full-time job, also build a business, yeah. host an event. Um, so it was a lot. It yeah. was a lot, but it, I just... I had a gut feel and I went with it and people want you to succeed. People are kind. People want to help you, which is what I experienced. Mm -hmm. And um, 
mental health wise, Mm -hmm. it was a challenge. I mean, I am a perfectionist. I get anxious and And I get obsessive, right? So it's not an easy thing because I expect and want the best. Um, So it was a learning curve for me in so many ways. I've never hosted an event. I didn't know that many people, but it worked. And I put myself out there and I hustled and people helped me and supported me and it was great. And, uh, you know, when we first uh, started talking, you spoke to me about an app that you wanted to do. Yeah. How is that still in the... Talk about the app, the vision you have, because you never know. Someone might be listening to this and they can rock with the idea and might reach out and hey, I really like what you're doing. And, you know, you get synergy. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, It's funny. It was a real business lesson in the sense that sometimes what you think you want isn't always actually what you want. Mm -hmm. And... Just the process of starting something often can lead you to a beautiful place. So I came into this. Like When we first met, it was all about the app. When I came to Toronto and I was working on the business, it was all about the app. Um, I was meeting with investors and I was pitching the app. And essentially what I wanted the app to be was the, I want to say the Airbnb of um, finding a therapist because, I mean, that's not lie. Uber's got a lot of issues going on with it right now. But something that was easy, was sexy from a UX perspective, was mainstream, was something that people had on their phone because that's what people did. They had the app on their phone. Like mm-hmm. the, w- the way that Uber works for me is I never used to take taxis, mm-hmm. but I downloaded Uber because everyone downloaded Uber. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was that kind of way of thinking about the app, but all it would exist to do would basically about finding a therapist, making it easier, mm-hmm. talking about them in terms and in ways that resonate, like we said, earlier psychology today is so overwhelming in terms of different qualifications they explain what they do in different ways their pricing and actually finding a way that is very human very easy to understand what the value is um, and also potentially playing with kind of personal recommendations because for me personally if I have a good therapist I will recommend them to a friend because that personal connection I know as I was saying earlier personality types so I'm, I'm kind of doing that now. I'm almost matchmaking for friends that I meet when I meet mm-hmm. certain therapists because I'm doesn't always work. But yeah. if you know someone's vibe, I you, think that's really important. Like yeah, so it was basically just going to be an app that, that makes it easier, that really goes on genuine value and helps people find someone to speak to. Okay. And when is the next Space, space Parties event? Um, it you, is. It's is there a be, date? But like this is... It, there is a date. Okay. There's a rough date. There's a rough date. So um, I'm working to March next year as A, I've, I'm winter and this is my first winter and I'm not naive. I know people don't want to leave their houses mm-hmm. in January or February. Um, but also March will um, mark my one year anniversary in the 6th. Mm. So it will be a great month to do an event just as that kind of celebration and yeah i'm excited i've already got a couple of really cool people lined up in terms of panelists um but always looking for more people to talk to more people to help more people to come so yeah if anyone has any interest or wants to come please reach out to me i'll definitely be there this time yeah last time i couldn't make it because of some obligations but i was just like damn i should have been there but i know it's gonna be like an ongoing thing it is i can be there to grow with the event that will be a few in 2020 that will be a few in 2020 definitely looking forward to that well you know we're about to wrap it up um you know uh last question i always ask everybody yeah he's like what does hustle over everything mean to you oh hustle over everything 
Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be a little bit extra. So I'm not sure about over everything because for me, it's about like maintaining a healthy hustle. Absolutely. Um, and over everything for me has previously meant my mental health. And actually mm -hmm. what I'm learning is how to hustle in a way that's sustainable and, mm -hmm. and actually knowing that sometimes I can take a break mm -hmm. and there's a strength in that and there's a hustle in that in that you don't always have to be going. So it's kind of redefining what hustle means. It's working on my passion, connecting with people, building something, but in a way that's like maintainable and keeps me happy and healthy. And you found that happy balance. I'm getting there. You're getting there. It's a process. Deleting Instagram tomorrow. Baby steps. Exactly, exactly. I'm not perfect. Yeah. Well, Lauren, thanks for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you being here and taking the time to talk to us about your, uh, your mental health experience. Uh, you know, you shed a lot of insights to me and everybody who's going to listen to this. And, uh, you know, I always like to have the last few words to hustle over everything nation. So, you know, we just heard it from uh, Lauren and Russ Constant about mental health. My fellow hustlers, you know, I know we're grinding. I know we're building. I know we're creating every single day to make our dreams come true. But most importantly, your health is everything. Mental health over everything, baby, you know. <laughs> so I know it's hustle, but that can take a little pause for the cause. And uh, focus on yourself if you need to step away from your MacBook you need to step away from like your you're making beats or your business, whatever it is you do creatively. Just take a little moment, go to the park, smell the roses, go chill with your friend, go play 2K, you know? A lot of different things you can do to de-stress because your mind is everything. Your mind is what's gonna make you healthy and wealthy at the end of the day. So just take a moment and uh, really reflect. And when you come back, you're gonna go harder and you're gonna become more rejuvenated and uh, your dreams will ultimately come true at the end. This is Owen Osinde, Mr. Hustle Over Everything with Lauren Russ Constant. All the links to Lauren's socials when they're back and active. I'll put a link to Space <laughs> Parties and you'll be able to like reach out to her to learn more about it. This is Owen Osinde signing off. <laughs>